Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa Speed Day. Those of you watching online in this amazing Memorial Day weekend, some of you might have family in town. I have my daughter here with her son, with her husband, and my two grandchildren, so I am happy today. They are in this service, and those of you who are visiting with us, maybe family, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, We would encourage you to come back as often as you can and watch online. We would love to have you for sure. So, um, here's the question. How do you really love someone? How do you really love someone? The the Bible would suggest that this may be one of the top three questions that you could ask of yourselves, practically speaking. How do you really love someone? Let me give you the logic behind this. When Jesus was given the opportunity to summarize the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, he said, here's the summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. It all boils down to learning how to love God and love your neighbor. Then we come to John chapter 13. Jesus issues a new commandment that takes it even to another level. He says, uh, he says I, I issue you this new commandment that you would love others as I have loved you. The idea is that we would, as followers of Jesus, give up our toxic human love that has all kinds of strings attached to it and that we would learn to receive the love, this beautiful, pure, agape love that Jesus has for us and that we would simply push it forward Pay it forward to the other people in our life. As a matter of fact, Jesus finishes that commandment by saying, this, by the way, is how all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so that's what we want to talk about today. How do we really love one another? And we've been doing this in this series by that title, and this is week three. And we don't want to make it any more complicated than it needs to be. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, we are commissioned as believers in Christ who have the Spirit of God in us to display the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit is simply the word love. Then Paul, the author of Galatians 5.22, gives eight descriptions of what love practically looks like as we give it out to others. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you used that passage of scripture when you got married, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is going to, again, practically define what love is. Last week, we talked about one of them. He says, love is patient. We talked about that. And then Right after that, he said, love is kind. Kindness is mentioned both as an expression of the fruit of the Spirit as well as one of the key definers of what love really is. And so that's what we want to talk about today. How do we love each other? We are kind to each other. But what I want to do is I want to begin with a biblical definition and unpack it for you of what biblical kindness looks like. I'm going to put it on the screen. You're going to have three opportunities to shout this out loud. And by the third one, I want you to have it memorized so that when you walk out of here, you can actually put it into practice because you have it firmly planted in your mind. You ready? Let's say it out loud together, church. Ready? I am kind to others for their sake because God has been kind to me. One more time. I am kind to others for their sake because God has been kind to me. Now, there are two words 
uh, primarily, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament for kindness. In the Old Testament, the word is chesed. Say chesed. Yeah, not hesed. You're going to have to put a little bit more saliva in the jaws. Okay, let's try it again. Chesed. There you go. Yeah, chesed. Hesed is one of the primary key words in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament because the word chesed means loving kindness, love, or kindness, and it primarily expresses the brand of God's love to humanity, chesed. It also uh, carries the same root as the word for stork. Isn't that interesting? Is it as the word for stork? Yeah, that bird that is known for bringing us babies. Let me show a picture of it. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, and there's a reason why the stork was selected as the bird that brings us babies, right? And it's because uh, the stork is known for their unbelievable love, kindness, and devotion to their young as opposed to another bird, the ostrich. As a matter of fact, in Job chapter 39, uh, the author is going to compare and contrast the two. Now, I'm going to begin uh, in Job 39, verses 13 through 16, reading from the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It begins this way. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. Yeah, the wings of the ostrich, they're pretty amazing, right? And they wave proudly. But... Are they the pinions and plumage of love? That just means wings and feathers. Yeah, amazing, impressive wings. But are their wings flapping? Are their feathers flapping out of a love for others? And then it describes them. For she leaves her eggs on the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beasts may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Now, what I want to do is I want to read that same passage of Scripture out of the New International Version of the Bible, the one that I primarily use, and hear the translators of the Hebrew language rightfully take out the word love and insert the word stork. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Here it goes. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. So they chose the word joyfully. Yeah, Ostrich wings are very impressive, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. The word kindness or love can be translated stork because the words are interchangeable. And there is a well-documented account of the devotion of a stork, which at the burning of a town historically called Delft, In the Netherlands, after repeated and unsuccessful attempts to carry off her young, the the stork chose rather to remain and perish with them rather than to leave them to their fate. The quote that I read says this, Well might the Romans call it the Pia Avis, which in Italian means true devotion. God is like the stork in his relationship with us, not like the ostrich. Can I get an amen? Amen. And the notion or the idea, the way in which God treats us, because he treats us the way he does, then we should be compelled to treat others the same way. Now, 
in the New Testament, the word is Christos. Say Christos. 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 Uh, the word, this is the word for kindness used in that famous list in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, translated kindness. Now, this word for kindness is not primarily referring to the outward act of kindness. It includes it, but it's not primarily starting there. It refers, first of all, to an inner moral goodness on the inside of us that drives us to show an outward act of kindness to somebody else. And this is important. The difference is significant. Because somebody can show you an an outward act of kindness, but their inner motivation for doing it is not so moral. It's not so much for your sake. Have you ever been shown an outward act of kindness and you squinted your eyes and said, I wonder what's behind this, right? Or maybe you have done that. There is an opportunity to show an outward act of kindness that's driven for my sake primarily. Christos says no. Christos is an inner moral goodness out of a deep love and concern for that person that drives you to go out of your way to show an act of kindness to another person. Biblical kindness shows outward acts of kindness from an inner moral goodness for the sake of the other person. I'm going to put the definition up for the second time. Invite you to say it out loud and memorize it. Here we go. Ready? I am kind to others for their sake, Christos, because God has been kind to me, chesed. Ah, good. Now, what I want to do is I want to unpack this definition as it works itself out in the life of a very famous guy in the Old Testament by the name of David and his relationship with someone you might know very little about. His name is Mephibosheth. If you're having a baby, I suggest this might be a beautiful name for your good Hebrew name. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to hang out in 1 and 2 Samuel. Another option is to download or open up the Westside app. You can find it in the App Store. Go under uh, Gather and Notes, and you will find all the scriptures I'm going to read today, as well as an outline that you can fill in, mail it, email it to yourself or to a friend. Now, this is also one of my favorite times of the year because it's one of the four times we have a family worship experience. We give our amazing children's volunteer the day off so they can hang out with their family, catch their breath, because your children are exhausting. And uh, we bring them into the service. We're so excited to have them here. And what I'm asking kids, uh, if if you will do this, um, and maybe some of you men who have a very short attention span, uh, is uh, you had an opportunity to get a piece of paper and maybe something to write on when you came in. Uh, And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to draw me a picture of what you think this story looks like in your mind's eye. And then at the end of the service, I'm going to invite all the kids to bring the pictures down to me because I'm going to display them personally, okay? Now, if you didn't get a piece of paper because you didn't think you're going to need it, uh, you can, at any time in the service, go and grab them in the back of the auditorium. If you're at home, uh, you can go grab a piece of paper, and you can mail them to me, yeah, and I will be proud to display your interpretation of this amazing story I'm about to tell you. So here we go. The setting of the story, in case you're not familiar with it, takes place 3,000 years ago. 
3,000 years ago, Israel uh, had their first king by the name of Saul, but because of his repeated disobedience, God disqualified him as king, but he kept him in office for the next 14 years. At the beginning of that 14 years, he anoints the second king of Israel, a man who was after his own heart, a young boy at the age of 16 by the name of David. But he leaves Saul in place for the next 14 years to test and challenge David to grow him up to be the kind of king who can handle shepherding an entire nation. During that 14-year period, David develops a very intense personal friendship with Saul, King Saul's son, whose name is Jonathan or Prince Jonathan. Early on in the relationship, Jonathan recognizes. He sees God's good vision in David and understands that it would be David who would be the second king of Israel, not him, Prince Jonathan. And so he recognizes that, but he makes a request of David. The request is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 14. Jonathan says to David, But show me your unfailing chesed, kindness, like that of the Lord, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your chesed, your kindness, from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. Now fast forward to the 14 years, 2 Samuel chapter 1. David has been now inaugurated as king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the 14 years have passed. And David has made a commitment to Jonathan. But as a new king, he has so many things to do. So many people pulling on him. So many things to set up. A military, etc., etc. Let me ask you a question. If you were inaugurated king today, what would be the first priorities of your life? Of your few days in office? Mine, I would be going to Nordstrom's to try on crowns. Yes, I would be. Got to be a good-looking king for sure, but not David. David has no interest in that. Here is what David decided to do in the first days where he becomes king of Israel. Verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show chesed, kindness, for Jonathan's sake, not mine? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there still no one left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's chesed, God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. 
your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you chesed, kindness, for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and will, you will always eat at my table. Now, why would Mephibosheth be afraid? Well, if you've watched any movies, when there is a king, a change of dynasties from one family to another, it was customary for the new dynasty to kill all of the family members of the previous dynasty, and Mephibosheth thought his life was coming to an end. That's why he was hanging out in Lodabar, trying to stay undercover. Verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Do you pick up that low self-esteem, that sense of living with somebody else when you used to be the grandson of the king, that life has passed you by, that you're now an outcast of society, a fugitive of your own, a dead dog like me? Verse 9, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, Your master will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. The story finishes And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he was always, he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. What a great story. Now, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? I want to give you two points of application that you can practically put into place today when you leave this place. I'm going to invite you to to take some notes on this. Ready? Application number one, we're going to put on the screen. I am proactive and intentional about showing kindness to others. I am proactive and intentional in showing, about showing kindness to others. We notice in the first days of David's kingdom, he took action. He worked hard to look for any relative from the house of Saul, from the house of Jonathan, to track Mephibosheth down. Here is the takeaway. Don't just sit and wait for a need to arrive. Be the one, as a follower of Jesus, who takes the first step. Be the one who wakes up every morning before your feet hit the ground and pray, Lord, place someone in my path today whom I might show your kindness, your chesed to, that I might take what you've deposited in me and show it to somebody else. And I invite you to start with the people you're living with. Yeah, sometimes the people we're living with, we are the least kind to. Start there. 
and then move outward to your neighbors. And then if you really see yourself as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, do what Jesus instructed you to do, and that is to show kindness to the person who hasn't shown kindness to you. Show kindness to the person who would consider themselves your enemy. Jesus said, oh, it's one thing for you to love somebody who loves and gives back to you. It's another thing to love somebody who can give nothing back to you or the person who has not shown kindness to you at all. That's amazing, okay? Principle number two, write this down. I give my best, not my leftovers, when I show kindness. I give my best, not my leftovers, when I show kindness. Uh, apparently, there is an episode uh, on the sitcom Seinfeld that illustrates this point very well. The reason I say supposedly is because uh, Roseanne watches television at night while I read the Bible. And she... <laughs> it's true. And uh, I thought about going back and watching the episode, but I thought it had better use of my time to read the Bible. And so she tells me this episode where, um, I'm kidding, by the way. It's an episode where Elaine starts this muffin store, right? And you may have watched it, and she only wanted to sell the top of the muffin. So I think it was called Top of the Muffin uh, to you, like Top of the Morning to you. And so she didn't know what to do with the bottom crusty part of the muffin. So she decided instead of throwing it away, she would give it to the poor. And the director of the poor place comes and says, why are you giving us this trash? Do you, you think that because we're poor, we don't deserve the top of the muffin, right? I love that example. Imagine Mephibosheth's face. I want you to enter into the story. I want you to enter into the story, and I want you to be Mephibosheth. You are standing scared out of your mind before this mighty king of Israel. And I want you to imagine as he starts to list the ways he's going to show kindness to you. First of all, he says uh, that you're going to be carried to my table every single night. Then he goes on to say that I'm going to give you all the land that Saul personally owned. This is pretty significant because Saul tracked David down for 14 years. David could have easily said, I ain't giving you the land of that rascal. No way, shape, or form. He caused me more grief than ever. But he gave the land of Saul to Mephibosheth. It also says that David gave, uh, gave him Ziba, who had 15 sons and 20 servants. Women, listen to me right now. Would it not be great to have 35 servants who worked at your beck and call to cook meals at night, to pick up all the trash, to clean the toilets? Maybe pick one or two of them every morning to wake up and put your makeup on and comb your hair, right? And you still got a bunch left over. You have no idea what to do. He gets 35 servants plus Ziba. But the biggest thing of all, the biggest thing of all, and I want you to enter into this. These words are being spoken to you. The biggest thing of all is that David treated him like the son of a king. Yeah. Imagine with me Mephibosheth and wondering at what point the tears started strolling down his face. He thought his life was over, and he discovered his life was only beginning because of the chesed, the kindness that David showed him. When you show kindness, do it with class. Give your best. Don't let me be hearing how Westsiders are giving junk to other people. 
ratty stuff. Give it your best. I may not be very tall, but I, I carry a big punch. I'm going to lay you down if I find that you're giving junk to people who need to see Jesus. We had a situation where our A2 group um, uh, is providing a, sort of a wraparound love, because that's our vision and strategy, for a single mom who's chosen to foster and now adopt four kids. And she's giving these kids a real shot at life, but she needs help. So our A2 group has come around her. A while back, um, somebody, it better not be a Westsider, decided to donate their children's swing set, you know, those wooden swing sets, to her for the sake of the kids. So our A2 group went over to the house to put it together only to find out that it was nothing but rotten junk. Termites had eaten all the wood and we could not even put it together. And what this person was doing was not showing kindness, but rather jump, d- d- dropping off their junk in somebody else's yard. You see that? You understand what I'm saying? You don't give junk to people as a follower of Jesus Christ, you know? Burn it in your backyard. Get a permit. Burn it in your backyard, right? You know? But don't give it to a single mom trying to provide life, right? And so our A2 group went out and bought the best jungle gym swing set that money could buy, and we put it together because that's what Jesus people do. Can I get an amen? That is cool stuff. That is the way we roll. That's the way we roll. But now there's a twist in the story. If you fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 16, there's a twist in the story. David's son, Absalom, rises up against him. David could have taken his son out, but he loves his son. So David decides to once again become a fugitive as Absalom claims himself to be the king of Israel. Let me read to you chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When David had gone for a short, uh, gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. Then uh, the king uh, king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. Then the king asked, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the house of Israel will give, back, give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. So you see the story here. Ziba tells of Mephibosheth's rebellion And David decides to give all that belonged to Mephibosheth to his servant Ziba. Principle number three. Here it is. Kindness backfires sometimes. Show kindness anyway. It is true that people will take advantage of your acts of kindness from time to time. And I have seen this. It's been tempting in my own life to stop showing kindness to everyone because I have been burnt by someone. 
And I've seen some of us do that where we're reluctant to give money to somebody or give resources or to show kindness because the homeless guy, you find out he took the money you gave him and he went down to the local bar and he bought alcohol versus buying food for his starving family, of which he doesn't have. He said, that's it. I'm out. I'm going to keep all of this to myself. Don't do such a thing. Why? Because we take advantage of God's kindness all the time. Aren't you glad he doesn't stop showing kindness to us? You hear me, church? We take advantage of God's kindness all the time. Aren't we glad he doesn't stop showing kindness to us? We need to do the same thing. But in this particular case, the story is not finished. The plot thickens. Fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 19. And David has returned to the throne. His son Absalom has died. And we begin in verse 24. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. Hmm. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, your servant, betrayed me. And he, was, and he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king, may uh, my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. All right. You watch the news all the time? You watch different channels like I do just to stay sane? Somebody's lying. Uh, somebody will be a lion here. Who do you think it is? Let me finish the story and you judge for yourself because the story's not going to tell you. All of my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing Mephibosheth says, but death from my lord the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, say no more. I order you and Ziba to divide the fields. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. Somebody be a lion. Who do you think it is? It doesn't tell us, but I have a hunch. It's Ziba who's doing the lion and that Mephibosheth is telling the truth. So let us be careful not to judge too soon about what's going on in a person's heart. It is not over until it's over. Okay, one more time. See if you got it. We're going to put it on the screen. Ready? I am kind to others for their sake because God has been kind to me. So we want to make this extremely practical for everybody. So you probably know this, but uh, every week we collectively bring a portion of the resources that God has given to us to this church that belongs to Jesus. And like in Acts chapter 4, you read... We entrust the leadership to disperse the money appropriately to give glory to God and to help people in need. 
and Westside has been doing that faithfully at a larger percentage than any church that I've ever served. We give it to Avenue of Life and Advice and Aid, and we give it to uh, 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 struggling children from around the world. I just met with one of our uh, pastors from India uh, backstage between services, and we disperse thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars faithfully that you have brought here every week. But we also have the sense that there are some people that need encouragement. There are people that need help that fall uh, outside of the circles that we send the resources to, but they fall well within the circle of influence that God has given to you. And we see you as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, I, don't, I, 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 I don't want that title. Well, too bad. When you received forgiveness, you took on that title. You are ministers of the gospel. So we thought, what would it be like to take the offering and give it to you to distribute to the people God's placed in your life? So we have a particular family that came to me a, a few months ago and said, this is what the Lord has laid on our hearts. We talked to the pastors and our uh, advisory teams, and they thought this was a good idea, a good lesson for us, a good experience for us. And uh, they have given us a sizable gift. Now, the family wants to remain anonymous. You won't know who they are, but they are a wonderful Westside family. They're not that old. Uh, they both work. Uh, they uh, have a mortgage. And they still have student loan debt. Um, the man, uh, young uh, father, uh, he actually is okay with me saying this. He, uh, for the first 10 years of his life, grew up in a drug house uh, and uh, in a single-parent home. And their family knew every type of government subsidy known to mankind, he said. And uh, they're not wealthy, but they have believed in tithing. And so they've tithed. They both work. And they're raising their kids, uh, but they started a side business, and God has blessed that, and they wanted to do something to express their gratitude to God for his kindness to them. So they gave us this gift and asked if we might not distribute it to you to show kindness to the people in your circle. We believe that there's somebody right now in your circle. It could be someone that uh, serves you food. It could be someone that's next door. It could be a widow. It could be someone at the gas station who can't uh, pay for the tank of gas. It could be somebody. And we are going today to entrust to you the opportunity to distribute these resources. Okay? So here's how it's going to work. Uh, we are going to um, take and receive communion today. So uh, I'm going to pray for us and then uh, you come up to the front and you receive your communion elements, every member of the family. And then in this envelope uh, for every uh, family, one for every family, not 10 for every family, one for every family, uh, we invite you to pick this up. And contained in it is $40 of cash, which if you multiply that by the size of West Side here in its speedway, okay, do the math. This is no small deal. But we are going to distribute it in small amounts. And we're going to invite you to pray and to disciple your kids and grandkids in this experience of the responsibility of taking the money that came to this church and distributing it on, on behalf of Jesus Christ. Okay? 
Now, if you're watching online, Ty's going to give you some instructions on how to pull this off and encourage you. You can, after praying, decide to add more to this. And all we ask is that uh, you do what we do, and that is you tell us the story. And uh, you'll see here there's information about that. Uh, you text uh, my story, and, or you can scan the QR code, and we call this reverse giving. <laughs> you come to church to give money today, we're going to give it back to you. And the family that gave the money also suggested that if maybe you're the person who's hurting the most right now, that you're really discouraged, and that this would encourage you, that it is okay to keep this to encourage yourself. But remember, one day, through the Lord's kindness to you, when you're back on your feet, just make sure that you pay it forward, okay? And then, uh, kids, if you have drawn a picture for me to display, I'll be standing down here at the front. Kent will be doing the same thing at Speedway, and uh, it's going to be a great morning. And then take the communion elements back to the, your seat, uh, and then we'll take it together as a family. All right? Please be standing to your feet. Heavenly Father, we now enter into this holy moment, and we just ask that you would uh, stir in our hearts how we could best be a minister of your gospel in the places where you have placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.